Hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day. This is a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director, and my practice is focused on walking alongside individuals and teams who do sacred work to cultivate spiritual practices, soul care, and relational support. Now, that's kind of my tagline, but really the reason I'm doing the work I'm doing, and I'm kind of passionate about it, is because in the 25 years in ministry, especially in my earlier years of ministry, I really didn't feel like I received the kind of personal guidance or or leadership when it came to really developing my own soul, my own spiritual practices. And I'm really excited to be able to walk alongside others who are doing sacred work, maybe maybe younger people, but, e- but even people who have a few decades of experience and are trying to figure out what does it look like for them to stay c- connected, to stay engaged with the God that they are trying to partner with. And so that's the nature of the spiritual direction I do. It's the nature of the conversations for this podcast. I hope they can be beneficial. Uh, but one of the other things I'm really trying to do, might be of interest to you and I hope to many others, is cohorts that are just small little online collectives of people who are learning specific practices alongside one another. It's one thing to read a book about spiritual practices, but it's a whole other thing to be able to talk about it and walk alongside others who are learning some of the same practices and and glean experience from one another, and even a little bit of encouragement, you know, to keep us going as we try that. And so, my first one is kicking off this fall. It's starting next month, and it is going to be a cohort called Practicing Examine. And it's going to be a small handful of maybe four to seven people who are getting together every two weeks for a couple of hours just to learn a little bit about the various parts of the prayer of examine, but also to share with one another how it's going as we learn to put that practice in place. I was recently asked, what is spiritual formation? You know, what what does spiritual formation look like? And off the top of my head, I gave an answer that I've returned to a number of times since then and just been thinking about. I said, spiritual formation is awareness of self and attentiveness to the spirit. It's where those two things join. And that might not be um, unique to me. I've read many, many books on practical theology and spiritual formation. So, I'm very aware I might have subconsciously stolen that from someone else. So, if you've heard that before, I won't take credit for it. But the point is, that's what I really appreciate in my own life about the prayer of examine. It's because I feel like it merges very well the nature of both self-awareness and attentiveness to the Spirit. And I hope it can be beneficial for you as well. So again, if you're interested in that, if you'd like to learn more, either way, you can go to examinecohort.com, E-X-A-M-E-N cohort.com, and read a little more about it. And if you'd like to uh, register on that page, you're not committed if you register, but it at least lets me know that you're interested and we can continue the conversation from there. Thanks so much. Okay, so back to what I said earlier about these conversations. My guest today is A.J. Sherrill. And AJ is someone I've known for a number of years, mostly from a distance, but we've crossed paths from time to time. Always appreciated as he's been in churches, both really, when I first knew him, he was in a struggling church plant, but seen him pastor churches large and small, and always appreciated not only his humility, but also his passion for spiritual formation, so much so that he even holds a doctorate in spiritual formation. So I knew this would be 
a great conversation to share with you. AJ is currently the pastor of St. Peter's Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and he's written a handful of books that I've personally found very helpful. You'll hear them mentioned in the podcast, and I really hope you'll consider reading them too. So here we are with AJ Sherrill. I understand very little in life, but I'm I'm content with not knowing, so we'll have some fun. I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to answer them. Oh, man. I'll probably return some questions in proper Hebrew fashion so that <laughs> your listeners can make sure that they stay aware you're gonna, that you're much smarter than your guests. You're going to go all spiritual director on me? Yeah, that's right. You're going to ask right. me the questions? You're going to respond right. to questions with questions? Yeah, Jesus gives us a great model for yes. confusion. Well, I mean, part of the reason I, I – I guess here we go. Part of the reason I reached out to you is – um, I really appreciate like there is a bent that you have towards spiritual formation to the degree that you're writing books about it. And as a pastor, you're not writing books that are just your repackaged sermons. Not, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I really appreciate that you're, you know, you are a practitioner and at the same time, you have, you have a deep passion for formation and those don't always go together in a lot of ways. And so, Mm. I'm excited to chat today. Excited to have a conversation with you about it. Um, You know, all that said, let's let's like get into it and talk a little bit. You know, the nature of this podcast is for people who do sacred work. How do they stay tethered? How do they stay partnered with God for that sacred work? So, let's hear first. Like, tell us just a little bit about the context of your sacred work. What do you do? Yeah. So, uh, my name is AJ. such a gift to be with you again, John. I have been a, a pastor for over 21 years, which is crazy to even think about. Um, and I've been a priest in the Anglican tradition here these last couple of years. And uh, I mean, that's a lot of like my vocational work. I, I really see myself yeah. as um, uh, primarily brother and friend in the context of our church. Um, I also really enjoy um, teaching, I find that I come alive and, um, it seems like it's often sometimes helpful for others when they realize the text is so much better than we think. Um, and so doing a lot of that sort of sacred work of being in the scripture and going into ancient context and yet contextualizing it for the same story that God is writing today that we're grafted into, um, that's the work that brings me alive. Um, I've also really, I I love writing books, but I I also really love um, walking the text with people in the ancient land. And so going to Israel, Mm -hmm. Turkey, these places have become a real big part of um, my life and also now my ministry. And so I sort of pinch myself that I get to do this. I get to walk the land that um, uh, my spiritual heroes and my Messiah walked and to see and understand from a contextual standpoint um, what the fig tree means and what a broom tree is and yeah. all of this stuff to realize, oh, that's what he meant when he said that. Okay, that's helpful for me as a disciple. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that's a little yeah. bit of my context. Um, I live in what's and called I, the low country. Yeah. I wasn't aware that you're doing that. Do you do that? Uh, are you partnered with another organization? Are you doing that a lot with people within your church community? Yeah. So there's an organization I use that does all the back end of it. And uh-huh. um, they also partner you with an archaeologist on that side. So I get to do the sort of um, contextualization and um, sort of pastoring and also like teaching Jesus. But I'm typically also paired with someone that's a, an expert at the land and all the yeah. stops and all that stuff. So that's helpful. Um, so we sort of share content. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, that's been going on. I, I typically invite my church and then people that sort of eavesdrop or whatever. I mean, we just sort of an open invite. We had 37 on the trip I just got back from. And uh, that was really, really great. So yeah. How often are you doing that? I try to do it only once a year. Our next okay. one's actually a year from October, I'm trying to get us in a better weather pattern. It, it was hot. Uh, um, yeah. And like, you know, if any of your listeners are interested in that kind of pilgrimage on our, our website at stpeters.me, we kind of, that stuff will be made known sometime this year and people can sign up. And we just, I'm just really eager to walk with people that um, want to discover more of Jesus and, um, and walk his path. So um, that's yeah. what we try to do. All right. Well, this, I mean, this seems like a really straightforward question, but I find it really helpful just to have it articulated because there might be nuance in the answer you would give versus someone else. But what role does partnering with God play in your work and the work that you do? I mean, I would like to say every part of um, partnering with God, <laughs> like for my work to work, that's, that's, that's pretty central. Without God, my work doesn't work. Um, and I, you know, I don't know that I could always have said that in ministry. I, I think, um, I teach preaching for Fuller and I always, um, encourage my students to preach to a place where you are out of control, where there's actually mm-hmm. like, you can only do so much. And then there's like this cliff that happens at the end of it that if like, it's almost like in a, in a godly way, not like a, uh, I don't know, provocational way, like right. in a way of saying like, God, I'm, I'm going to leave these people off a cliff of faith. And I just know that you're going to show up and do what you do. So, I mean, that's a great example of like, you know, for example, this weekend, like I really, I was going to say, what does that look like? Yeah. yeah. That look yeah. Like? <laughs> so, so this weekend I'm, I'm teaching on the anointing of David and asking like, well, that was for a King. That was for a King. That's for like secular vocation. That's not like priests. We often think of anointing like that's oh, with priests and pastors and worship leaders, et cetera. Sure. Like anointing is, is for the world. It's, it's for a smearing of God's presence and power for the sake of the world. So it's like to ask people to come and be smeared as they feel called in an oil to be sent out into the world. You know, you kind of, like, I like that of not, I don't know how this is going to go, but I like that of not knowing and just saying, Lord, I just trust you and I'm not going to be reckless, but I, I do want to be in a place where it's no longer up to me to produce that I actually can't make this happen. Um, so I, I think partnering with God, back to your question, is really a part of that. Um, yeah. For my work, I, I see my work as like spiritual Jenga. So like, I just sort of press pieces to see what moves. And when something does, I just try to follow it as far as we can. Um, and and that's, you know, that's been really fun as we've seen Af- Afghan refugees resettled here through our church. We're doing this new evergreen project, creating jobs for adults with differently abledness. Um, just stuff that like, I don't know, when you signed up to be a pastor, it wasn't on your list. But nevertheless, sure. opportunities come and it's like, God, if if you're not with us in this, like, I this this just isn't going to work, and it's been cool to see um, see things happen. Nice, and I mean, you know, I would consider you from the times I've talked with you in person or online or just following from afar, reading your books. You know, I think you're a very competent, intelligent. I'm not buttering you up here. You know, this is my experience of you, and a very capable person. So, what what do you feel like it? What does it look like for you to not, or how do you know 
when you're not just leaning on mm. these gifts and qualifications you have, um, mm. you know, how, how do you keep in check of, I, I, I don't just want AJ to be the one leading this church, but I want to be following, mm. you know, the winds of God uh, mm. as this church is being guided and directed. How, how's that? How do you keep in check on that? There's like a intuitive sense that I feel like people have that they realize when they're eating yesterday's bread or like when Mm -hmm. it's been a while since you've had like a fresh encounter. And I don't know, that's always been something that I've been aware of where it's like, I think it's been a while since I've actually like felt like I experienced the living God. I'll sometimes try to induce that. Like I'll, I'll just be like, okay, I've got to be in creation more. Hmm. I've got to just get on a plane and go to the, (laughs) or I've, I've, I need to take a silent retreat. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always mean leaving context, but often for me, it does. Contrast can be really reviving for me of saying, I'm going to intentionally disrupt normality and familiarity because I am desperate for like contact with the divine. And um, I've just sort of gotten used to the rhythm of my day. I, I would say too, I notice in me, um, I get efficient and I get insecure when I'm not doing well and I realize, whoa, what's, what's, why is, why is my ego so punctured here? Why am I feeling prideful or humiliated? Something like that. When I try to go quick and do more, be efficient and insecure. um, Those are like, I've gotten better as I've gotten older of like having that conversation with myself of, Oh, that's what's happening right, right here. Um, right. You need to be aware of that. It actually happened to me this morning in my, um, in my morning sit with God of like, oh, I feel like related to this person. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually reversing the desire to control the situation because I'm actually insecure about what might happen if this person shows up in this or that way. And so I'm needing to sort of control that and defeat that and beat them to that. And I just realized like, whoa, I, yeah. I, I'm no, I'm noticing that and that, that matters. And now I can maybe take a different pathway than I would have in the past. So yeah, efficiency, insecurity, go quick, do more. Those are my tells of like, yeah. oh, okay, you're in your own strength here, bro. And you need yeah. to, you need to, to change the game here. So you just said something really significant. Um, and that is, you said this morning you became aware, like in your space, Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to hear about what is that what does that look like? You know, what is it what does it look like for you to create that space? Maybe it's maybe it's a daily thing, maybe it's a weekly thing, maybe it's once a month when you head to the beach or the mountains. I assume in South Carolina you can do either. Yeah, we can. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what what are the spaces that you create, you protect to have that kind of awareness, that kind of attentiveness? Mornings really matter to me, which means going to bed really matters to me. Um, that's become more apparent as I've gotten older and realized I can't pull off the kinds of things I used to, um, that I did in my twenties and thirties. I just, you know, you grapple with limitations and they're actually really good. So I, I try to, I try to go to bed before 10 and I try to get up as early as I can. Um, and coffee really matters to me and not just coffee, like good coffee really matters to me. I order mine from 
my favorite roaster and have it delivered because yeah. it's just become that important yeah, to well, have. Well, we can talk, we could talk coffee roasters. All right, yeah. Be? Yeah. So madcap, when I lived in Grand Rapids, oh, I, I yeah. pastored a church there yeah. and um, I fell in love with a, a roaster called madcap. So they have this yeah. like five pound bag deal that's free shipping. And when you buy it in scale, um, you save a lot more. And so it's been awesome since I moved here. Uh, so my morning French press is a part of grabbing um, the sacred text and sitting on a rocking chair on my front porch. And um, those have just become, you know, scripture and solitude are really important. And it's important to me that I do it in the morning because, um, you know, when you start to understand more about neurological patterns and what happens in the brain, you know, your cortisol levels are the highest in the morning. Mm. And I've kind of seen it as a tithe, um, to the Lord, just like you would tithe your income or whatever you tithe your time or whatever, um, to tithe your, the best of your brain power to the Lord. Um, I forget what Psalm it is. You probably know it where it, Oh, what is it? it? There's this, there's this runaway line that talks about, um, like you are the best thought of my day. Hmm. And, um, I think that's even in be that my vision, um, that line, something like that. And, and I like the idea of saying, God, like, I'm not going to give the best part of my mind power today to email or to social media or even yeah. to writing. I'm going to give it to you because um, I, I need to have my mind transformed. So coffee, solitude, silence, scripture, um, begin my day every day. I try to get up before my wife and my, my girl. Um, and it's, it's really sweet. Yeah. And do you, do you follow besides, you know, the discipline of the time you have set aside, does that time follow the same pattern, the same structure every morning? Do you move in and out yeah. different practices? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So I, I begin in that chair before I open the text, I say the apostles creed um, mm -hmm. in my heart as a way of pledging my allegiance to that story um, in continuity with the saints who have come before me to say, this is, I, I choose again this morning that this story is is my story and I, I choose that. I choose to once again say yes to this covenant. And then I'll I'll read a morning psalm. And um and right now I'm going through judges in the morning, just chapter by chapter. And yeah. so it's just I'll just let that go where it wants to go. And um and then I see what comes up for prayer. And then it's it's not rocket science. It's just relational and just when it's done, it's done. Yeah. Um, it's it's radically ordinary. And, um, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Except, except, I mean, it is radically ordinary, except that you said a little while ago, you know, that in that space, like it, it'd be really easy to move through that, those quote unquote tasks and be really efficient about it, you know? Um, and yet you even described how this morning, like you had this moment of awareness, you had this morning of this God prompting, um, so how are you, able, uh, how do you feel like you're able to stay engaged and not just have this be the things that you do every morning? Cause it's, this routine is working for you, right? But it's really easy for some of us sometimes to just do these routines for the sake of doing them. So is, are there, do you just feel like you're so connected and engaged in the morning with this is a sacred space and I'm going to come to it that it just doesn't fall into the doldrums of repetition for you? Or is that continual work to be aware yeah. and attentive? 
It's a great question. I don't know. I, I think the why stays pretty strong with me. Like mm. I always tell people when I take them through a rule of life, when your what sort of crouches out your why, you sort of drift really easily into religion. Yeah. And then you drift beyond that into boredom and you eventually just fade out when the what sort of, I don't know, overshadows the why. When you keep the why in front of you, you know, it's really helpful to stay engaged with the what. I, I've said it like this before. I never get up and think, oh, coffee again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I always get up and I'm like, coffee. Yeah. And um, and not because it's just caffeine. There's just something about it that I'm like, this is me. This is yeah. This is what I love to be doing when I first get up. And I'll even stretch my body while I make French press just as a way of like awakening the Shema part of my life of like loving God with all of my mind and body and soul in my heart. And so like engaging even that's really important in the morning for me, but I'd love to just sit yeah. and to just be. And, um, and I, I connect with the scriptures. I know everyone doesn't have that testimony just from a young age. Um, I've just always really enjoyed, I don't know. There's so many things that, directions that the scriptures can take you yeah and um and to just be in that and yeah i I said it's radically ordinary in a sense that it's not like i feel like i'm on a roller coaster every morning of just you know and crazy crazy epic you know breakthrough i just feel like just like i love to see my wife every morning when she gets out of bed i never think like oh there she is again okay it's like no you exist amazing you're still here we're still together it's amazing same thing with my daughter and coffee it's like I, I don't know that that gets old. Um, right. It's like showing it up with God. It feels at this point in my journey, it feels normal, not in a way that's like kudos to me, but in a way that's just like, yeah, we've, we're sort of growing old together. And, um, and I'm okay with the normality of that. Like it's, it's still, it's still good. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's honestly been, nights um where as i was winding down in the evening you know maybe sitting on the couch you know with my wife or family or even like getting in bed where like i've longed for morning to come so i could have my coffee (laughs) (laughs) so i'm very much i'm very much resonating with your Uh, joy and delight in the coffee side of things and appreciate saturdays the quality of madcap i'll do a pour over and that's a great contrast just because i do Hmm. french press all week and that pour over is so clean yeah. And it's just like, oh yeah, that's it. That's the stuff right there. So yeah, I don't I do mess around. I, variance there. I do pour over every day. I don't, I'm yes. not, I'm not. <laughs> so good. I get it. But, but it is for me, it's like, and that's, you know, one of the first things that I do because something about the intentionality and the methodology, even of yeah. that slow, deliberate activity feels like a good way to start the day. Even though I'm preparing to drink something that quote unquote, it's going to be my go juice. <laughs> um, right. But, but there's a, yeah, there's an intentionality to it. So. Well, to soak in the grounds, I mean, what a metaphor for yeah. the spiritual life of just, you know, needing to soak if we're going to have sort of a bold impact in this world. It's really, it really matters. You wrote, I think one of the most helpful simple ideas in your Enneagram for Spiritual Formation book. You wrote about the idea of upstream and downstream in terms of our practices. And I love that. And I don't know that I'd seen that named or presented in that way before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, well, I mean, I, I guess I should, uh, I'm going to defer to you just for a couple moments to describe Th- that whole idea, because I think it'd be really helpful for continued conversation here. 
Yeah. So imagine yourself on a river and you're on an inner tube. Your downstream practices are those that you really enjoy that come without effort. They just naturally take you downstream. It's the flow of the current. It's really life-giving. Your upstream are those that you're going to have to work for. And so you have to fight for it. You know, today I was on a paddleboard with a friend of mine um, for a meeting. It's one of the ways I do meetings here in the low country, which I'm really grateful for. Um, and, you know, you have to, even with a little headwind, it's just it, the intentionality you have to have to really paddle upstream. What happens is we typically circle what we like and we ignore the rest. Yeah. So like the things we do that are downstream that are easy to just sit there and enjoy. It's like, I can do that all day. And so we're like, well, I don't need to do, you know, this justice work, or I don't need to do contemplative prayer because that's hard for me, or I don't need to read scripture because I don't find that as life-giving. And sometimes that's exactly what you need to do because it doesn't come as naturally for you. And yet that's how the spirit will grow you over time. So it's kind of like burning negatives when you lift weights or something. Yeah. You know, it's only coming through the the resistance of that is often what forms you the most. Sometimes you have to drink tea instead of coffee. No, oh, man, heaven forbid, <laughs> blasphemy. But and and the reason the reason I appreciate so even as you're talking about you know the practices that you have in the morning, I would assume there's a degree of downstream that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing you know you framed that in the book in the context of for your Enneagram type, you might find that this is a really helpful downstream practice and you might find that this is a really helpful upstream practice. So I think even um, even the idea that any practice you have resistance to isn't necessarily an upstream for you because there might be almost like an ideal upstream mm-hmm. for you. Is that is that fair to say? Like, do you, do you ever frame conversations around spiritual practices outside of Enneagram in the same way and help people process like, here's what your downstream might be, but here's an upstream you might consider? Or do you feel like it's really helpful just in the context of that Enneagram conversation? Yeah, no, I I just, there are so many disciplines available in the yes. human experience. I, I yes. think to to try to wed them to types is just was just a way for me to get at the uniqueness of personality and how it matters when it comes to our spiritual formation. In other words, like, we're not all the same. <laughs> and so there are some practices that are more or less life-giving for, you know, good or bad reasons. And we need to pay attention to that. Um, but I, I mean, I think the amazing reality is, I mean, the... The invitation is the presence. Um, it's the presence of God. It's the presence of ourselves, and it's the presence of community. And and so, what what are practices? Practices are simply ways we can graft into the presence. That's all they are. It's just a trellis. Yeah. And so, unless the vine shows up and we abide in the vine, like it's just it's just religion for the sake of religion. So, um, I, I think for people to learn the the panoply of practices that exist and to be able to become more conversant and experience those and to be able to say, okay, which of these is really going to help me become more like Jesus this season? And I think it's really good to change your rhythms up, you know, not for the sake of change, but for the sake of like, just like you would change your rhythms up anyway. I mean, that God created even the, the earth in a way that has rhythm that has seasons and we should pay attention to that for our own souls. Cause we're a part of creation. So, you know, people that kind of hang on to a practice because I've been doing it for 10 years and nothing, I don't really get sure. anything out of this. It's like, wow, you should probably let that go for a season and see if there might be something else more life-giving that, that maybe you're in a place in your maturity where it's time to 
to look at another, another practice. And it's the same with working out, you know, with the body, you just have times where it's like, you know, I'm going to stop doing that particular exercise and I'm going to start doing this one. Cause it kind of hits a muscle group that I've been ignoring for a while. So I think that's really important. And it's also important to see yourself that there are certain seasons where God wants to grow certain fruit in you that are unique to that season. You know, like every single year I try to lead my church into a, an exercise where they can identify one of the fruit of the spirit and to say, where is it? Although I want hmm. all of them, like, sure. where is it that I really sense God wants to grow me more this year? And, you know, when you become a dad for the first time or a parent for the first time, <laughs> you realize pretty quickly, like, hey, my patience may not be where I once thought it was. How come I knew you were going to say <laughs> patience? <laughs> and so, God, what practice might help me develop that so yeah. that I'm not hyper reactive to my my child in this or that way yeah so, so, so i mean yeah. so for you you know you've got this daily practice that feels downstream and is very beautiful and helpful How, what does it look like for you then to work in these are some upstream practices and what's like what's the rhythm of something like that yeah um inconsistent at best I would say as a performative um, person, um, as an outcome-driven person, it's good for me, you know, the the sort of rhythm I described for you in the morning, it's good for me to end that time by just being. Because um, even like reading scripture can turn into total productivity time. Right, I get right. into like sermon writing or book writing or whatever. Um, so like contemplation has been really big because it's like the practice of doing nothing, believing something is happening, even though I may not ever identify in this moment what that something is. Um, yeah. That's good for performative Christianity. Um, it, it's good for fives, you know, people that are sort of cerebral to get in their bodies. Yeah. Like, it can't all be ideation and theory. You know, it's really good for, for sevens and eights and those that are sort of moving into the zest of life to to learn how to be in solitude. You know, these are really good things. So um, I, I just, I think, I think what's needed is to assess season by season. Okay, God, where, where am I this season and where are you? And what's the next phase in my spiritual maturity of my Christ likeness? Well, what would bring you, what would bring you happiness if I were to grow? What would bring the people around me more joy if I were to grow in this area? What would bring me more joy? Um, but, but that's hard spiritual work because it's the work you do of, of helping people slow down long enough to pay attention to what yes. their souls really long for rather than reaching for accessible substitutes. And that's hard work. It is hard work. Yeah. And, and, and in our modern day and age, almost anything that cultivates attentiveness seems to become hard work because everything else is against it. You know, everything else yeah. is pushing back against attention or, or, or fighting for our attention. You know, and mm -hmm. so creating spaces, crafting spaces, choosing spaces mm -hmm. that give us attention can be really hard. Uh, oftentimes, because what comes to our attention is not things we want to engage. It's not things we want to deal with. Like, yeah. you know, even like you described, you know, your experience, your epiphany moment this morning. That's not something you want to think about you know, or want to become aware of, but you know, it's, it, it's a good part of your journey. So, um, and th so 
you know, again, if we're talking about your books, um, which I intentionally try to not just choose authors to be on my podcast who come, or come on to talk about their books, because I really want to talk about people's personal lives, their own personal formation. But I feel like you've written books about your personal formation, so it's hard not to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, your your most recent book, which I, again, I really appreciate it, AJ, but talking about contemplative prayer. Even your subtitle, The Absurdity, Necessity, and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. Um, if that doesn't sell the book, I don't know what, what'll sell the book. <laughs> um, but so would you say, I feel like you alluded to this just now, but would you say that contemplative prayer is kind of an upstream practice for you? I think contemplative prayer is becoming an upstream practice for humans. Yes. Um, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I mean, you're right. We live in a world of compete, compare, control. We live in a world of efficiency, machinery. Um, even the way we talk about life is often through like like engines, you know, like language that we would associate with the assembly line or with machinery. And, um, you know, we even talk about our brains as like machines or computers, you know. So it's, it's interesting the metaphors we use because they end up sort of finding their way into the way we see our worldview. Um, so I think contemplative prayer is, is really good, um, for human beings because it's, it's design is to disrupt, um, a, a sort of Western world that never stops vying for your attention. And it's helpful to get out of that sort of, um, I don't know, gerbil wheel to notice, um, to notice more. And, and that's not, that's no longer obvious, you know, because I think we're so subsumed in it. Yeah. So how did you, and again, I know some of this is, is in the book and you've talked about it in other places, but how did you find your way to contemplative prayer? Cause I assume, mm-hmm. um, like the experience I had, you know, in my earlier church years and in so many others, it's, it's not a practice that's common it's not a practice it's you know talked about it's even seen as a practice that's foreign or maybe out there so how did you come to it and how did you learn to practice it i came to it actually i think around the season where i first met you i mean this would have been Hmm. 2008 maybe i don't know it's been over a decade since i first seems about right yeah i was in a really successful church model and then i i went and planted and and it didn't work by the success standards that we have as humans. It was hard. And, and you know, the whole build it and they will come thing just wasn't working. And I didn't have the networks of that I was used to from back where I'd come from. And I was having all of these identity questions. And I realized in that season through failure, at least perceived failure, that um, I don't know how to pray. I know how to like try to get things from God or pray to God. I didn't know how to be with God. I didn't have a life with God um, yeah. that was very meaningful. And I became aware of that only through failure. I think it's it was Richard Rohr that said something like, you know, men typically, and uh, it doesn't, it's not just gender specific here, but he said, you know, men typically only really, you know, encounter God, you know, through failure is like the mm-hmm. first step. And so often your failure is like your greatest gift because you realize like, well, like this exposes so much of who I am and who I'm not. So I began to long for a deeper life with God. And it just so happened that I met a person, um, an older gentleman um, at a conference 
that weekend who started like giving me vocabulary that I didn't, I felt intuitive, but I didn't have language for. And so I started reading Nowen and Merton, you know, Avila and started realizing like, oh my word, like Teresa's got some really good things to say about here because I don't have an interior castle. I have like a, a little, you know, tent (laughs) that I sort of pitch every (laughs) once in a while. Um, and yet God wants to make a a temple inside of me. And that's, that's something. Um, so that was a long journey of just growing and reading and trying and practicing, um, and failing and then practicing some more. So it's still a struggle for me. I don't get up thinking I can't wait to just sit and do nothing for a few minutes and just be in the mercy and love of God. But, but it's good. Yeah. One of the, one of, one of my, you know, I did the Sermon Smith podcast and I interviewed almost a hundred people, I think in that. And so, but there's, there's certain things and certain conversations and interviews that stand out. And one of the things that stands out to me is you and your, you had a philosophy of preaching um, document, which was a couple pages long, just a really helpful outline, just very deliberate and very intentional, but really almost a framework for you, as I recall, to to look back at your sermons through or to guide you. Um, and I'm struck by, and, and again, not to be disparaging of that at all. I think it's really a helpful idea um, and I hope you still do it. And I'm struck by how different that is from the nature of contemplative to prayer, contemplative prayer, which to me feels like it's a releasing, you know, of checklists and guidelines and foundation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wasting time with God is not on most people's radar for tomorrow. <laughs> you know, right. we actually have a kind of guilt about that. Oh my word. I don't want to waste time. I want to make time. I want to, yeah. you know, maximize my time. It's like, yeah. One of the ways to do that is to waste time with God. Um, but we're not rewarded for that in the right in the natural realm. What's the most efficient prayer I can do? <laughs> right. um, uh, move in another direction here a little bit because you alluded to this early on. So I'll have one more question of this, and we'll start wrapping up. But um, early on, you in this conversation, and I should have written this down. You described yourself really just in terms of being a friend, even within your congregation that you lead. You know, or a uh, a person within your congregation. I wonder what it looks like for you to sustain healthy relationships, supportive relationships, rather than you being just this distant, aloof guy. How how do you navigate that as a, and you've been in all different sizes of churches as well. So I'm sure there's variance there, but how how do you navigate the proper relationships for your own Mm -hmm. spiritual health as a leader in a church? I don't know. I don't have like a, I don't have much wisdom to give there. I just notice sometimes where I, um, I'll just notice a gentleman. And after those conversations, you'll begin to have insight of like, Oh, I think this is someone that I can trust. And I'll tell you this. I hear more and more. I don't know that I'd say this 20 years ago or that my parents generation of pastors would have said this. I hear more and more parishioners saying like, Hey, just so you know, like, I don't want anything from you. Like, I just want you mm-hmm. to be free to be a friend. You don't have to pastor me when we're together. Like mm-hmm. I hear that quite a bit now. 
and that's yeah. that's kind of cool. Um, you know, um, I've got one friend that reminds that every time we're together, just that he's just like, I just love our friendship. You don't have to do anything or be anybody. You just love hanging out. So those are the kinds of people that I'm kind of always on the lookout for. Um, yeah. And it's more intuitive than anything else of like, I feel like I can trust this person and that I want to walk with this person. They don't want anything from me and vice versa. It's just pure relationality and community. Um, and then obviously like there are people you have outside of your, your work that, you know, sure. do what you do that understand the things that only you could understand the way that you do. So yeah. I think a lot of it is just always paying attention to social circles. And, um, I had a mentor that once said to me, AJ friendship is the thing of destiny. And, uh, I mean, even when you look at like David and Jonathan and their friendship in the scripture, um, I, Paul and Timothy, I feel like we should be praying about community. Like we should be praying about friendship. Hmm. Like if, if you are lonely and you long for a friend, have you prayed about it? That sounds so cliche. Right. But it's not because we don't pray about it because we just assume that, oh, well, friendship will be easy like it was in college. Well, in college, everyone had the same goal. And that was to just party on the weekend and get through class. <laughs> and so, of course, you can find friends. You all have the same goals. But <laughs> it's but like church as you get, Yeah. As you get older and you nuance and you go through different things, you have different experiences and different needs and different, um, I don't know, just specificities. Friendship becomes really hard because yeah. people change and grow in different directions. And so there are seasons where friendships in the past no longer really work because our values are no longer aligned and that's okay. It just means I don't have to have the same expectation I used to on this friendship. Nevertheless, I, I hope that there is, there are people I can walk with. Um, and so I think that requires a kind of, a kind of praying life that knows what, what you need and what you're looking for. And you can you can search and become aware and um, discern when people are put yeah. into your life for certain reasons. So all that to say, I think friendship is spiritual and we should treat it as such. And yes. when you find friendships that are really synergistic, um, you should pursue them with all your heart. It, it, you're right though. It does feel like a helpful shift that has, even as I think back to, you know, when I first started in ministry, third almost 30 years ago as an intern but um yeah it seems like there is more permission now for pastors to just be participants in the life of the congregation who have a particular role rather than be the aloof set apart um mm -hmm. yeah so i'm, I'm glad to hear that yeah so i'm glad to hear that you're experiencing that and and seeing that I, it's i'm just it, it didn't even strike me at the time but i was just reading philippians one yesterday thinking about how much and you know and thinking back to the stories of paul and philippi and the friendship with you know uh the jailer and with lydia you know and he wasn't there for long but we have this framing of paul as this leader who really inspired people and I mean, he literally kind of, kind of goes into cities, creates a ruckus and leaves and leaves the church behind. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of training and a lot of leadership happening. But at the same time, when you read Philippians 1 or when you read Ephesians, there's so much affection mm -hmm. 
yeah. that is also named for these people yeah. that as much as we want to give Paul a hard time for being just this yeah. rigid theological um, juggernaut. Yeah. There's, there's so much affection that's there. That's good for us to pull from. And I, I hear that and what you're saying. And I appreciate that. that, that yeah, I mean, people, People use Romans. That you have it, but you're willing to receive it from them as well. Yeah. Totally. People use Romans as that, like, isn't Paul such a theological juggernaut? But if you read the last chapter of Romans in 16, it's yeah. just him spilling affection, name after name after name, where you yeah. think like, man, this guy was so integrated with his work and with his community. And that's really beautiful and really rare, particularly as you scale in size and self-importance. You get more insulated and it's just like a recipe for disaster. It's no wonder we're seeing so much of what we're seeing today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, I have a new, um, I, I didn't prep you with this question. I sent you questions that the flow kind of works its way through. There was no coffee mentioned in those, but I'm glad we covered coffee. Um, but I have a new final question that I'm asking um, that actually came out in my conversation with Mike Goldsworthy, I believe a mutual friend, you were probably in Long Beach together. So, um, but it's, I, I would love to know, you know, on the, even just based on the trajectory of your life and your intentionality about your own formation, who do you hope to be in 10 years? Hmm. Uh, I hope to be content. Hmm. Mm. In a way that's not apathetic um, or in a way that isn't like deprived of goals and vision, but just really finding a sense of, of deep contentment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I won't elaborate. I think it's obvious, you know, all the things that are probably implied there. Um, I think it's the scripture that says, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Yeah. And I don't hear too many church series today called contentment a 10-part series and it probably needs 10 (laughs) weeks of of real thoughtfulness to actually really uh properly talk about it um so i hope to be content what do you think the challenges would be to get there uh comparison um disappointment uh you know i i think i think in your in your 40s and 50s you're beginning to grapple with mortality for the first time you're beginning to wonder, is the sun setting on some of the goals you thought you'd realize? Um, and so, you know, that's when the sports car becomes interesting. That's when the the whatever, whatever becomes interesting, the boat, whatever you don't have that you think you need to be someone. So, um, yeah, I hope in 10 years that um, I'll, have, I'll have noticed some of the mischief and whatever those things I'm reaching for that are not God and have enough wisdom and insight to say, you know, I... I, I can detour that, <laughs> that life lesson <laughs> and yeah. choose another yeah. path. Um, I mean, being a, a disciple, husband, father, um, pastor, I, I don't, I told myself this, this year, um, cause I pastor a smaller church than I used to. And, and I did that intentionally, but I also felt obscurity would, would be hard for the ego and it would be good for me. Um, and it was good. It's been really good for me. And yet I look at the last two years of my life and I think you lack nothing. What, what more yeah. could you want? And so 
may gratitude flood my soul that causes joy because this is a beautiful life and I lack nothing in the spirit and God has given me everything I need to find joy. So yeah, yeah, I, I hope that contentment continues to grow. Yeah. Well, AJ, thank you so much. This was every bit as thoughtful and meaningful as I thought it would be. It's just personally, again, yeah, you named this earlier. I, I think it might have been 2009 when we first met, but just having kind of touch points with you, maybe at a conference here and there or a conversation like this or seeing your journey from afar, it, it, it's really um, it's a gift to watch how your journey has gone, you know, and you've had these, I, I just see in you a person that in the midst of ministry, some of it hard, some of it, I'm sure, very vibrant, um, a lot of growth. And there's a, there's a lot of intention there. And I really appreciate it. And I really respect it. So I'm, I'm thankful to share some of your story with others who are listening. Thanks, John. I'm so encouraged by your journey into spiritual direction, too. It's such needed work. And I pray that um, I pray that God would flourish your ministry in every way. Thank you.